right, thank you, Lenny. Yeah, I'm not going to walk on it or stand on it, that's for sure. All right, John chapter 4, we'll move it a little bit further toward the piano, okay? (laughs) Just move your brother out of the way. We'll tilt it this way if we could. There we go. I'll do the best I can not to run into you guys, all right? And uh, we'll do the best we can with, uh, with, uh, with this. There's really no easy way to put this here, guys. Um, can I just remind you one more time, pray for a new building? Okay, all right. John chapter number four. And uh, how's everybody doing? Everybody good? Yeah? Is, isn't it good to be saved? <laughs> it's good to be in church. Uh, John chapter four. And I, I do appreciate uh, Brother Alcorn leading us this morning in that song. I love that song because it reminds you to kind of uh, be still and remember where God has placed you. Uh, standing uh, means that you're kind of, the Bible says in Psalms chapter 1, uh, blesses a man that uh, standeth not in the way of sinners, nor uh, sitteth in the seat, nor, nor let us say, blesses a man that walketh not with the, in the counseling ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorn. Have you ever thought about that? You're walking, then you're standing, then you get real comfortable, then you sit. And uh, if you remember that you're standing on the promises of God, you'll remember that you are seated together with him in heavenly places. Amen. Uh, John chapter 4, and just going to go through, uh, uh, pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Um, I will, in the morning service, give a very, very, very abbreviated explanation of the Lord's Supper. I think there's a number of you that have already been through that number of times, so I didn't want to take the entire Sunday school hour to do it. Um, but uh, we will uh, do that in the morning service. Uh, let me say this much. If you're not saved, get saved first. Okay? And let me say this as well. If you're not right with God, get right with God first. Oh, I got less amens on that one, right? Uh, it's, it's like, uh, all right. Now, John chapter 4, look if you would at verse number uh, 17. John four seventeen. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And she's kind of giving half-truth there. Uh, for that was, uh, it, it says here, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou was well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he who thou now hast is not thy husband. And that sayest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive, kind of one of those like understatements of the year, I perceive thou art a prophet, right? Uh, you would think that if someone could tell you everything that's going on in your life. I perceive thou art a prophet. Our, now, now, now notice this. I want to show you guys something. This is really interesting to me. So the Lord is dealing with her about her personal life. Do you guys get, get that? He says, uh, uh, bring me your husband. Now, the reason he does that, and we went through this before, uh, it was not just custom, but it's also a matter of leadership. Like, I, uh, before we go much further, I, I'd like to make sure that your husband's a part of the conversation. It's kind of a, an appropriate thing to do uh, when you're approaching another man's wife. And that's kind of why he said that. Uh, and that's a, a biblical concept. Uh, but, of course, he points out the one that you're with isn't even your husband. Uh, and so, now, notice in verse number 20 what she does. You know what that is? It's called deflection, my friends. Uh, let me talk about politics. Let me talk about religion. Let me talk about uh, some, some, something out there. Let's talk about something external. I, I'm very leery of people and even preachers who all that they ever do is talk about deep subjects that are not personal to them. Uh, I'm very leery of that because I, I think that's something that, that sometimes the devil will allow in our lives to keep us from digging further and digging down deep inside. Uh, let me learn about, now look, there's nothing wrong, listen to me very carefully, nothing wrong with learning any part of the Bible. You ought to learn all that you can, amen? 
All right, but if you park yourself in Revelation and the tribulation and the Antichrist and, and the, 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 the ten, you know, united uh, 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 resurrected uh, kings that rise up, you know, within the European Union, it might be or whatever else. And that's all that you ever learn about. The real issue is this. You don't want to think about you because that book is not just written about that. That book's written to talk to you. And to deal with you where you're at. And you know what she does? As soon as the Lord puts a little bit of personal pressure on her. Uh, and it's, it's kind of like this. When you're insecure about your walk with God, you know what's really easy for you to do? Talk about other people. And talk about, well, this church says this, and this church says this, and, and there's hypocrites here, and there's this and that. It's really easy when you are not where you ought to be spiritually to just go, what about them? And what about this? And what about that? And the Lord goes, hey, hey, let's, let's, get back to the, let's get back to the matter. And he's going to do that here. Verse number 20, uh, she says, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what, for we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Now, that does not mean clearly from the rest of the New Testament that uh, salvation is uh, only for the Jews. Uh, you know what that means? It is of. It means it came from. You do not have salvation without a Jewish Messiah dying on the cross. You don't have the salvation of the whole world without that. So it came from there, but we understand later on that it's given to all that are willing and, and, and uh, uh, are ready to accept the free gift of eternal life. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number uh, 23. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. When he's come, he will tell us all things. I like this. I like this last part. This is really cool. Jesus said to her, I that speaking to thee am he. I like that. It's kind of like, she, well, when the right guy shows up, I know he's going to tell He goes, uh, yeah, so that's me. Let's, let's ask for the Lord's blessing as we dig into this. Father, we thank you so much for the morning. Thank you, Lord, for the singing we've already had. And, uh, Lord, the opportunity to, to attempt, Lord, to, to uh, get our minds out of this world and into your word. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would prevail this morning. I pray that uh, whatever burdens people have, and I know that, that there are many, uh, whatever issues people are dealing with, and I'm sure they are sundry, Lord, I pray that you would help them to maybe isolate those for a moment and be able to hear from you directly Lord, you know every single person here. You know the number of hairs on every head. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each and every one. Lord, to teach and lead and guide us as we go through your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, now, I want to say this again. I don't want to give the wrong impression. There is nothing wrong with learning deep things of the word of God. Nothing wrong with learning about future events. Nothing wrong with learning about prophecy. What I'm trying to simply mention, what I mentioned earlier was this. There are some people who will literally watch hours and hours and hours of Bible teaching on those things, and they don't want to think about the personal issues of their life. Uh, for, for example, um, I know some people that, that, I know I've mentioned this before, uh, that, that will talk about secret societies and things that, you know, that are going on in the shadow governments and all that stuff. And that's interesting. Maybe it's a little fascinating at times, but let me ask you a question. What does that do for your walk with God? And I think what that really is, is a distraction and a deflection from having to deal with things like pride and lust and envy and self-righteousness and hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness. It doesn't mean that you don't learn those things, but you don't exclusively just focus on those things. 
The Bible gives you things doctrinally, gives you things practically. And if you're reading that book from cover to cover at some point in your Christian life, you're going to learn that. Uh, even the things that look like they're kind of boring the Old Testament, there's a lot of application to your life. Uh, you talk about, I know it's been mentioned before, but just the, 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 over there in Exodus where it gives all the details for the dimensions of the tabernacle and things that are a picture of Jesus Christ and, and how you approach the tabernacle, how you get to every stage, you go a little bit closer into going into the Holy of Holies where God's presence is at. Great typology, great picture of your Christian life. Having said all of that, I just want to make this very clear. You as a child of God, you ought to have a balanced diet. You ought to learn about the seven sevens and the seven mysteries and dispensational truth and rightly dividing the word of God and blood-sucking vampires on Jupiter. I just made that one up. Uh, and, you know, the, the deeper things and the future things and prophecies, there's nothing wrong. That's good for you to learn that. You ought to know that by looking at things in this world, where this world is headed, you should not be caught off guard by the things that are going on in current events. You should look at that and go, well, the Bible says. That's, that's good. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I would say this. I've met some Christians along the way who get so enthralled with all of that, that what they do is they exclusively dive into those subjects and they, they kind of shy away from any time the Spirit of God puts pressure on their life and says, hey, this is not right in your life. It's like, well, what about them? And you say we ought to worship here, but they say this, and you need to stop that sometimes. Just say, okay, Lord, let me look in the mirror a little bit. The Bible says that that book's supposed to be a mirror in your life. And you're supposed to look in that thing as, as, a, as, a, as a looking glass, as a mirror, the Bible describes over there in the book of James. And so what does she do? She kind of deflects a little bit. And she say, why? Because the, the subject matter is a little bit uncomfortable. You say, what, what's the subject matter? Well, it's about her living in sin. And um, there's a number of examples of people that the Lord comes across that aren't living right. And he gives them instruction on how to get right. Uh, but but the, there's a, a, this particular thing, as we learned earlier, there's something about when you mess around with fornication, it captures not just your body, but your mind. And it'll mess you up, and you ought to get out of it as soon as you can. You say, well, what is, what is the, the, here's how some people used to define fornication in the church. Uh, fornication is uh, messing around uh, if you're single. And adultery is messing around if you're, if you're married. Let me just say this, fornication is anything that's outside the bounds of God's biblical plan for marriage. That's what it is. All right, and you can do that not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally, and it's also just as wrong. Doesn't Jesus Christ say, if a man looks at a woman and lusts after in his heart, he's already committed adultery? Right? Well, you say, what is that? That's a, it's a spiritual transaction. It's an emotional and mental one, as we learned about Wednesday night, about your mind, keeping it in control and keeping your thoughts right and all of that. But the idea is this. Uh, fornication is not uh, just for single people. If you're married and you commit, you're doing some outside the bounds of marriage, it's fornic it is basically to cover all sexual impurity, anything that is not under the bounds of God's description of what marriage is. Now, we live in interesting times, so from a biblical perspective, there's a couple of things I'll say about marriage, all right? Uh, over there, go to Genesis chapter number one, Genesis chapter one. We, we, saw, we looked at some of this last time. What is it that constitutes a marriage? Well, that's kind of a, an interesting subject in the Bible because obviously, from the very beginning, they didn't have ceremonies. If you want to make the argument that uh, uh, Adam and Eve had a ceremony with God there, you could, you could do that, but it's not written in Scripture, uh, you're kind of floating outside the bounds of Scripture when you, you say things like that. So is marriage identified solely by the ceremony? And I would say, according to our culture and according to our customs, that is kind of the, the initiation of that, if you will, from our, our cultural standpoint. But look, if you would, at Genesis uh, chapter, uh, let's see here, chapter number, 
I'm looking at chapter 2. I think that's the right one. Chapter number 2. Uh, look, if you would, at chapter 2. and Look, if you would, at verse uh, number 23. Verse 23. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, you know, by the way, I, I, I love the fact that uh, I, 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 I'm sorry, guys. You gotta let, every once in a while, you got to let some things out. That just you, you hear things in the world, and they're kind of kooky. We live in a crazy world. And so uh, someone was arguing recently, I don't like the term woman because it has the, the name man in it. Okay, well, you know what this person said in response to that? This is great. I, just call me a person. I, I mean, just stop with the foolishness, guys. Uh, go back to the fact that God is the one that set this entire human race up. God's the one that did this, and he established a man and a woman. He said, okay, I'm going to bring you together. And throughout Scripture, we see that as what God, uh, what is constituted. It is a man and a woman. I don't, I don't know why we have to explain that. We, that's where we're at. It's a man and a woman that constitutes that union. Now, is it just, well, we shacked up, now we're married? Some would say yes, some would say no. And the reason why it's a little bit tricky is this. From the beginning, the way God presents it is in a, in a situation where there's no sin. Think about this. The first marriage that ever took place, there was no sin yet. So, so look, look if you at Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2. And look if, at uh, verse number 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Uh, now it says there'll be one what? One flesh, all right? So uh, you, there's a story later on in, in, in the book of Genesis where uh, Eliezer, who's a picture of the Holy Spirit, goes out and gets a bride for Isaac. And Isaac's a picture of Jesus Christ because Isaac, the son of, of Abraham, the father, and he lays down his life. You read about all that stuff, the, the typology there. But he goes, Eliezer goes and he gets a bride for Isaac and brings that bride to Isaac. Now, now it's, it's a picture of something, but in the actual narrative, here's what happens. The Bible says that she goes into uh, his tent. It's actually uh, Sarah's old tent. And, and the Bible says that they knew each other, and she became his wife. Well, let me just say this. If you read the... Uh, th- go to Matthew real quick. Go to Matthew real quick. Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Um, and you'll read here when the Holy Ghost shows up to... Uh, the angel shows up to Mary. Uh, notice what she says. Matthew chapter number 1. And uh, look at... Well, actually, there's an interesting verse, verse number 18. Um, now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Espoused to Joseph. Now, what's the next phrase? All right. So, you guys, you know, I think, I think we understand what that means, Right. Uh, what, what ends up happening here, uh, look down if you would, uh, uh, that's not it, it's not chapter 1, forgive me, uh, uh, yeah, you know what, I may have gotten the wrong reference, guys, and maybe it's over in Luke, uh, the, the point is this, at one point, if, you got the, if someone has a reference, let me know, but Mary basically says this, uh, how can this thing be, no, uh, I have not known yet a man, now do you think that means she's never met a man her whole life? She lived in isolation and she never saw a man walking around. That's not what that means. She means in an intimate sense. So let me give you that. That's the physical or carnal approach to the word no in your Bible as it relates to human relationship. Uh, Paul uses that same word in a different way, spiritually. Let me ask you a question. 
when Paul writes uh, the letters that he does to the churches, is he already saved? Thank you. All right. Not a trick question, I promise. All right. Paul is already saved when he writes to the Philippian church. But you know what he tells the Philippians? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. What, what is Paul saying? I'm, I know I already know him as my Savior, but I want to know him in a more intimate sense. Talk about his relationship with God. Nothing impure, nothing weird about that. All right? But when you apply that to the physical, and men and women, oftentimes the Bible would say of a virgin, as Mary was, that she knew not a man. Well, what does that mean? That means in an intimate sense. So, so basically what you're reading here in Matthew is this. They were espoused, or you might say they were engaged to get married. All right, and, and so what you look at throughout the scriptures, before sin enters in the picture, it is simply just a matter of flesh joining flesh. That's the most rudimentary explanation of marriage. Why do you suppose that, that Jesus says, thou hast had five husbands? I don't know that that means that she walked down an aisle five times. I know that's, that's our minds as Americans, how we think about that. I, I don't think that's what that means. I think that means she was with five men. And if you follow the scriptures and study it out, that's exactly what that would indicate. All right, but, but let me say this as well. If we're talking about from a scriptural and a New Testament biblical standpoint for marriage amongst God's people, I would say this. There are two things that qualify it. Flesh becoming one, that's the physical aspect. And secondly, the spiritual emotional aspect, which is the espousal part. You say, what is that? That means there's a matter of commitment to the relationship. In other words, uh, uh, yes, from a physical standpoint, uh, two kids in high school that shouldn't be together and they don't know what they're doing, but they start messing around. You say, what is that? Well, physically they're joined, all right? Physically they're joined, but, but there's nothing else. There, there's, no, there's not necessarily a commitment to a long-term There's nothing else there. As a child of God, let me say it this way. If you want to do marriage the right way biblically, you don't enjoy certain aspects without the responsibility and accountability as well. Is this making sense to everybody this morning? Otherwise, you are outside the bounds of marriage. Uh, we live in a society that thinks nothing of this at all. And, and I want to point out, I know I spent a lot of time last time talking about this, but I want to point out that the Lord looks at this very differently than we do in 2023. God has a, a very strict, he goes, look, this is a problem for me because what you guys are doing down there, the relationship, the gift of marriage that I gave to mankind is a picture of something that God the Father would share with Israel and Jesus Christ shares with the church. And there's nothing perverted. The only way you have a perverted mind about that is if your mind's in the gutter. All right? But, there's, but it's a picture of what should be happening down here. You say, what is it? Well, as a husband, you lay down your life for your wife. You ought to be willing to. Let's put it that way. All right, you ought to be willing to say, honey, you're first. All right, you say, what is that? Commitment. All right, let me just say this. You go to a club, you meet someone, you go on Tinder, you meet someone, and you start fooling around. There's no commitment there. You're just fulfilling the lust of your flesh. And you know what? You might be joining them physically, but from God's standpoint, that's not a true biblical marriage. It might be marriage in the sense of flesh joining flesh, but you're just dealing with the physical. There's another aspect to this, which is the emotional and the spiritual. All right, and that is why I've heard people ask this question. Uh, uh, pastor, I've had uh, at least at least a hundred times since I've been a pastor. People have asked me this question. They've said this, uh, Pastor. I heard somewhere. I watched this message online. I someone told me that you know when you uh, are with somebody physically that you can take on their spiritual attributes. You can get demons or whatever else. Look, I I, I want to say this right now. I don't find that in the Bible. I don't see that in the Bible. All right. However, I will say this. 
that does not, need, that does not mean that that should be something you engage in. Because it's not God's plan for your life. Uh, God, God has a plan. Listen, it, it, when you take marriage and you reduce it simply to the fulfillment of your lust, you're basically nothing more than an animal. God did not make you an animal. Right? God made you in his image, and God said, look, here's the cheap substitute. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, Shasta Cola. Anybody ever had Shasta Cola? I'm not picking on you, but it ain't Coca-Cola. Can I get a witness? Anybody? All right, fine. Uh, uh, Haribo gummy bears versus the, the Black Forest. If you like Black Forest, get out right now. All right. Yeah, there you go. He's like, oh, guilty, guilty. We can still fellowship, brother. It's okay. But, but they're not, to me, they're not the same as the, the Haribo. The Haribo. Now, look, you, you go, well, that's, that's just our own preferences and all that. Fine. But you understand the illustration. The illustration is there's an authentic and there's something that's there to be a counterfeit. You know what the counterfeit to God's perfect plan for marriage is? Window shopping. Well, let me try this person out. 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 And I don't want to, I don't, you know, how, I'm, not, I'm not here to invoke uh, the past of maybe some of your lives. I'm simply trying to say, for those that maybe have been down that road, would you not want to talk to those who have not yet been down that road and say to them, don't do what I did? Wouldn't you want to say to them, hey, look, all that does is create more baggage for you down the road? And, and, and I'll tell you right now, the greatest way to enter into marriage, you know how it is? Being pure and saying to your spouse, I'll be committed to you and to you only, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually. All right? So, so you know what the Lord says? You got five husbands. Now, I want to bring this up as well, because uh, for many, many years, I think even in, in especially in Baptist churches, um, the idea of someone having been divorced was almost like, you know, if you're divorced, you're kind of like a second-class citizen as a Christian. Let me just say this right now. That's not biblically true. Uh, thank you for the three that said amen. I appreciate that. Uh, it's, 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 it's not a matter, I want to be very care, uh, clear with how I explain this. If someone were to come to me and say, I'm having trouble in my marriage, what can I do? I would, I would counsel you to do everything you could outside of that. I would. I've never sat down with someone and said, yeah, just dump him. He's a, you know, he's a bum. I never, I never said that. Uh, or uh, why is it always that way? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, well, you know why it's always that way. Sure. All right. Uh, but I've never done that. However, I want to be very clear with you. If you say that all divorce is sin, you make a sinner out of God. And I'm going to show that to you in a moment. Look, look if you would at Matthew chapter 19. So, so here's the question. What, what happens when um, you have kept the vows of marriage and a spouse does not? I think do everything you can to forgive and do everything you can to move on. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a real quick synopsis. There's a lot to unpack there if someone's ever been through that. Uh, however, God knows that we're weak. And God knows that sometimes, once you've been down that road, it's very difficult to recover from it. And I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying you, you shouldn't work things out. I'm just saying, from a biblical standpoint, what saith the Scriptures? Not what does tradition say, not what the Baptists say, but what does God say about the subject? Uh, look at Matthew chapter number 19. Matthew 19. And uh, let's look at what the Lord says about this, because what oftentimes happens is people will reference certain passages of Scripture at the expense of others. Look at Matthew chapter 19. Now, Jesus says uh, what you're going to read here is something that's repeated in other Gospels. And what people oftentimes do is they quote the passage in Mark that does not include the wording that you find in Matthew, and they do it on purpose because they want to make all, anyone that does actually get divorced, they want to say that is automatically a sin. And let me just say this, that's not what the Bible says about it. Marriage is a very complex relationship. Can I get a witness? I mean, it really is. 
but, but I, I think this, I think God's perfect plan is for one man and one woman to get married, and as long as they're alive, they're going to be committed one to another. That's, 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 the, that's the, the plan from the beginning. Uh, we see that from Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Uh, but then sin enters the picture. And then what, what, what after that? Well, what happens when someone's unfaithful? What do we do with that? Well, the Bible is clear about forgiveness. The Bible is clear about restoration. Uh, however, let me ask you this question. What if someone continues? I'm, I'm bringing real-life stuff into the conversation that Christians in church don't want to talk about all the time. Here's a real-life scenario. You're doing right. You're living right. You're following God. And your spouse says, I want nothing to do with that. And they are just having the time of their life. And you know what I mean? Living outside the bounds of marriage. And you go, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Now, look, some of you that are self-righteous go, well, you better just stay with them. You, you deal with that conversation when it comes to your doorstep. They drop it off at my doorstep, and boy, that's a different load. You know what I say? Well, let's pray about this. And, and what have you done to try to reconcile? And so on and so forth. But I'm also going to tell you, I know what the Bible says about it. You have not sinned if, in fact, someone has stepped out on you. You go, Pastor, are you giving justification for divorce? Are you? No, we, listen, guys, the, the world is so messed up, the Christian divorce rate is no different than the world's divorce rate. Right? That, that's not what this is about. This is trying to get back to what does God actually say about this. You say, why? Because whenever someone that is supposed to be married to a person steps out and is with another person, what they're doing is they are now joining with this person, and what that causes is a severance between the marriage relationship. It is not the person's fault that's living right. Look at Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. You say, Pastor, why, why are you getting so... Let me say this. I, this summer will be 23 years. I don't plan on leaving my wife, and I sure and pray she doesn't plan on leaving me uh, because I won't let her. Amen? Uh, but... But, but the, I'm not saying it's because of anything personal as much as what I've watched in churches in the past where someone comes in and maybe they've had to go through that and, and instead of feeling like they can come to church and find a hospital there, people kind of look down on them and judge them wrongly and it's not right. Uh, look at Matthew 19, look at verse number uh, 7. They said to him, why did Moses then, give, uh, then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? You know why divorce is a thing? Do you know why all this stuff's even a problem? Because of sin. Jesus addresses it in verse 8. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. In other words, God's intention for marriage is you guys stay together forever till you die. Now, now look at verse number 9. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife. Now what's the next couple words? In other words, here's an exception. You know what that means? Pay attention to that. In other words, if someone's been down that road and they've had to go through the ugly situation of divorce because their spouse stepped out on them and they could not find a way to reconcile with that individual, it is not our place to judge because God has already judged the matter. Do you see that? He says, unless it's for fornication, then you're going to be sinning because, in other words, here's what's going on. Let me give you some context in Matthew. Uh, The Pharisees had... <clears throat> abused the letter of the law and ignored the spirit of the law, which was simply this. If I want to put my wife away because we're incompatible, because I don't like her, because she doesn't bring me coffee at 7 a.m., because whatever, I'll just do that, and I'll be under the law, I'll be, it'll be okay. And the Lord's like, hold up, Let, let's, let's clear this up. Just because you don't like her, just because she rubs you the wrong way, or vice versa, that's not, incompatibility, are you kidding? That's not a reason to not stay married. You weren't, you weren't compatible when you got married. 
you're a man, she's a woman, you think differently than she does. The, the compatibility comes as you learn to sacrifice the one for the other. That's where compatibility, because there are things that I enjoy today that I did not enjoy 23 years ago. And I'll say this as well, there's some things that maybe I don't enjoy, but I'll do them and I'll go along and why? Because I love my wife. Compatibility gets stronger the longer you're together and you learn to serve one another. That's what marriage is about. It's not about you. People say, I'm just not happy anymore. Well, let me ask you a question. Whoever gave you the, in, the, uh, the implication, the indication that, that marriage was simply there for your happiness? I know it's a strange concept, but you know what marriage is supposed to be? Ministry. It's you saying, I am willing to put, that's why sometimes, look, some people are, I just need a wife, I need a wife, I need a husband, I need a husband. And then you get it and you're miserable. You know why? Because all it was was the fulfillment of your lust. It had nothing to do with the fact that you were looking for an opportunity to go, God, I want to illustrate what you did for me through someone else for the rest of my life. That's what marriage is, biblically. All right, so then what happens when someone's not keeping their part of the deal? Well, according to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, you have not sinned if this takes place. All right? Now, I'm not saying, uh, listen, you know what divorce is? It's a nuclear option, but sometimes you've got to hit the nuclear option. I'm not saying it, she goes, oh, see right there, and goes, oh, he said he, won't. no, I didn't say you should do it. I'm not saying it's the best thing. I'm just saying, you know what? Sometimes it happens. And what's real funny about this is that people that get real self-righteous about someone that's been married before and, you know, and they're divorced or whatever, they never seem to want to talk about the fact that Jesus says if you look at someone and lust after him, you committed adultery. I don't want to raise your hands. Do not raise your hands, <laughs> gentlemen. But I guarantee most men in this room have been committed adultery at some point in their life, whether you were saved or not. You better thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. And don't look down your nose on people that have been through this, especially if it's because of that. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's another one. First Corinthians, this is just what does the Bible say about this, this subject of marriage? And what does the Bible say about divorce? And what about remarrying others? Um, uh, 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 look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's another one. Uh, what happens if your spouse just leaves, walks out, abandons? Um, let, let me say, according to the word of God, if that happens, you are not bound unto that person. Let me show you what I mean by that. First Corinthians chapter seven. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, ten. And of the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. In other words, try to work things out. All right. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I. Now he says this, not the Lord. You got to be careful with this because Paul's saying, look, I'm just giving you my thoughts, but the Spirit of God inspires us and makes it Scripture. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And if the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. In other words, here's kind of what's going on. Let's say that you get saved and your spouse isn't saved. And you're dealing with a situation where you're saved, they're not, and they're willing to let you go to church. There's no, there's, they're not stopping you from church, serving God or anything like that, and they're willing to stay with you. They're content to stay with you. Uh, but, but obviously there's going to be a rocky road because now you're trying to follow Jesus Christ and they're not. Uh, having said that, he says, look, if they're willing to stay with you, work it out. All right, don't automatically, in other words, he's trying to explain these Corinthians that just got saved. You shouldn't just divorce your spouse because you're saved and they're not. 
You made that commitment before you're married, and look, it's kind of like, it'd be like you getting saved, right? And you owe the IRS a million dollars in back taxes, and you go, I'm saved. Every debt I ever had is under the blood. No, no, that debt ain't under the blood. You still got to pay that debt. You understand what I'm saying? And when it comes to the marriage relationship, it's the same idea, same concept. Now, look, if you would, at verse uh, number uh, 15. But if the unbelieving, what's the next word? Let them depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. In other words, look, if that happens and they abandon you and leave, that is the ultimate divorce. You are no longer in the bounds or bondage. I, I use that term because that's the Bible term, in the bondage of being in that relationship with someone that doesn't want to be there. All right, and at that point, you are free to remarry. Look at the last one. It's uh, you say, well, what are we saying? We're talking about the 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 reasons in Scripture from a New Testament standpoint. Uh, Romans seven, the reasons in Scripture from a New Testament standpoint that God allows for the separating of a marriage and the reuniting and the remarrying to a new person. Uh, you say, what is it? Well, if uh, fornication is involved, uh, and here's another one: if the person abandons you. All right, and really, if you look at the strict context of 1 Corinthians 7, it's really, uh, in large part, talking about a saved person and an unsaved person that are in yoke together in marriage. Uh, Romans 7, and this one's, I think, one that most people do not argue about whatsoever, uh, but it's still worth uh, mentioning. Look at Romans 7, verse number 3. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called a what? All right. But if her husband, now, now basically, you know what that's describing? The woman at the well. She was, this is where she's at, all right? She's living in adultery. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So, so that's kind of a no-brainer, but it's just worth mentioning that the, 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 the places where the Lord allows and, and understands, that, now, by the way, let me just say this. If you went through a tumultuous separation, especially before you were a child of God or before you got right with God, uh, this, is, this is not meant to go, you're in sin because of what you did before. Listen, if it's under the blood, it's under the blood. Amen? Regardless of what sin it is. There's no unpardonable sin once you're a child of God. Thank God for that. The only unpardonable sin today is this. If you reject Jesus Christ before you die and you die, you know what? You don't get a second chance. It is appointed men once to die, but after this, the judgment. That's the only unpardonable sin today. It's not this. All right, but as far as God is concerned, he says, look, I'll allow it here. I'll allow remarriage here. I'll allow remarriage here. That's where I'll allow that. All right? Now, the reason why you got to be really careful with saying that all, all, all divorce is sin. Look, if you would, at Isaiah chapter number 50. Isaiah chapter 50. I got news for you guys. And some of you may not even like this. God the Father is divorced right now. How many of you guys know that? Look at Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah 50. Now, that doesn't mean... <laughs> look, look I, I got to be so careful because you get weird concepts that people get from this. This doesn't mean that... You being married to one person for X amount of years is a blessing, but it should not be a badge of pride. Okay? Nor should I got divorced, what are you going to tell me about it? That, there, should be pride, there should be no pride in either direction. There should be humility in any human relationship because it's supposed to be a reflection of our relationship with God. Uh, but look at Isaiah 50. Look, if you would, at verse number one. Thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom, who put her away? Who put Israel away? 
You know what God gave Israel? A bill of divorcement. You know when they get reunited? At the second advent of Jesus Christ. Look at Hosea chapter number 2. Now I know for some of you that haven't studied your Bible as much, you're kind of lost in the weeds right now. I understand that. Bear with me if you will. Uh, but basically, here's what goes on. God tells the nation of Israel, if you follow my word and you live according to what I say, then I'll bless you and I'll bless your seed and I'll bless your land and uh, you'll, you'll be in a, in a safe place and I'll watch out for you and it'll be kind of like a, a husband looking out for his bride. That's kind of what God says to the nation of Israel. But you know what she did? Spiritually, spiritually, she committed fornication by doing what? Worshiping false gods, following those false gods. And oh, by the way, it's really interesting if you study history and archaeology, uh, not only was it spiritual fornication, but physical fornication was involved in those heathen worship uh, practices. All right. So by the way, uh, you ever wonder why, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man? You know why that is? Uh, because, uh, and you look around at what's going on right now, all the perversion that's going on, you know why that is? I don't care if it's heterosexual or homo, it doesn't matter what kind, it's perversion either way if it's not within God's bounds of marriage. And you know why that's so prevalent today? You know why everyone's all about putting it out there? You know why it's no big deal? You know why? Because the world is about to get ready to worship the wrong Messiah. And it's all connected with the same stuff. It, it, it's, it's cyclical. You know what you learn from history? People don't learn anything from history. That's the, that's the lesson. And it goes over and over and over. And what you're in the Old Testament, what Israel did back there, it's going to come back in the tribulation. Look at uh, Hosea, Hosea chapter number 2. Hosea chapter 2. Pastor, are you recommending that, you know, I have trouble with my spouse and, you know, they don't, we don't get along when you get divorced? I didn't say that. Uh, I'm really clear about what the bounds are here, but I'm also going to say this. Do not make the Bible say something it does not say. Do not make the Bible say that all divorce is sin when it's not. Because if you go down that road, you make God a sinner. And that's a bad thing to do. Look at Hosea chapter number 2. Hosea 2, look at verse number 16. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi. And thou shalt call me no more Balai, for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth. Talking about the name of, uh, of, this, of the false gods that were in the, name, that are in the mouths of the people of Israel. And they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the fowls of heaven, uh, so on and so forth. Look down at verse 19. And I will betroth thee unto me for how long? Well, guess what? That's a will. That's in the future. That's not what's going on right now. You know, what, you know what's happening right now? Look at Romans chapter 11. As far as the nation of Israel is concerned, Romans 11. Romans 11. Now I'm going to tell you right now, um, one thing to watch out for, and it's a real, real interesting thing. When you go politically, if you go really far left, it gets anti-Semitic. You go really far right, it gets anti-Semitic. Um, that's not a coincidence. Uh, by the way, if you want to know why it's called anti-Semitic, it comes from the word Shem, blessed be the Lord God of Shem, over there in the book of Genesis, describing the lineage from which Israel would come. All right? Now, now the, the best thing to do with the nation of Israel as a whole is pray for them. And do what you can to reach Jewish people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the best thing you can do for the nation of Israel. But I'll tell you this, when nations turn their back on the nation of Israel, they always suffer the punishment. Uh, you can see that over and over in history. Look at Romans chapter number 11. Romans chapter 11. And uh, look, if you would, at verse number 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest, you be lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. In other words, you, you, the church that is primarily comprised of Gentiles, or in other words, non-Jews, all right, don't be proud, 
Don't be lifted up with, with uh, uh, the idea that you are better than Israel because really what's going on with them right now is what the Bible describes in verse 25 as blindness in part is happening to Israel. She can't see who her friends are. She can't see who her enemies are. And eventually she's going to receive a false Christ, a false Messiah, and she's going to be persecuted, Revelation chapter 12. And then the real hero, the one that came, the one that's there to rescue her and right all the wrongs is going to show up on a white horse, amen, and establish peace and justice on this earth for a thousand years. And when he does that, then Israel is once again restored. So here's what you have in picture, in type, is what you got is, is the Lord, uh, God the Father, uh, betrothing Israel. And he says, okay, here's my covenant with you, Israel. And the covenant is based on the law. If you do this, this, and this, and this, and I'll bless you here and here and here. But if you don't, you'll be spread out. You'll be persecuted. You will not have your kingdom. You'll lose the crown, Lamentations 3. And that's exactly what happens. And so God goes, okay, here's your bill of divorcement. But we're not done yet. I'm going to take you back after everything, some, several thousand years later, when my son gets back on his throne, I'm going to take you back. Now, you know what that tells me? That tells me that in even the, the hardest and the uh, most challenging of marital situations can see hope and their marriage can be resurrected. Uh, if you're a child of God, especially if you're a born again Christian and you're having trouble in your marriage, can I just say this? If, if God can do that with Israel, um, there, there's a good chance that God can help you in your marriage as well. All right. And so I want to encourage you. I don't want you to walk away going, well, I'm having trouble in my marriage. We're going to call it quits. That's not the answer. All right. The answer is hope. And, and the answer is restoration. The answer is forgiveness. The answer is get some biblical counsel. But I do want to point out biblically that when someone does go down this road, it does not mean that they have automatically sinned. Now, this woman, the problem with this woman in John four, go back to John chapter four, John chapter four. The problem with this woman is she's just casually enjoying what today is called an open marriage. Can I just say this? Uh, swinging in an open marriage is sick, and it's wicked, and it's perverted, and God just calls it. See, here's how we are. We don't want to call things what they are. Don't call fornication. Call it an open marriage. You know, don't, don't call it adultery. Call it an affair. That just sounds so much better. It's, it's, it's sin is what it is. Sin that it might appear sin. Look at John chapter 4. The problem with her is uh, she's not dealt with it. All right, look at verse number uh, 19. Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And then she goes into this other uh, conversation. And notice what she says in verse number 20. She says, ye say, <laughs> ye say this, and we believe this. And uh, again, this is kind of a deflection thing. But can I say, when it comes to religion, when it comes to matters of eternal uh, uh, implication, when it comes to things that are uh, weighty matters in life, you shouldn't just go off of, well, that church says this. And this church says this. And I think this. And they say this. You know what you ought to say? What does God say about it? Now, you know, I, at one time someone said, man, I just wish that God would show up and write in the sky. I say, he did something better than that. He showed up 2,000 years ago, lived down here for 33 and a half years, and left us an entire book. It's <laughs> a whole lot better than him showing up once and writing something in the sky for you, isn't it? Uh, well, look at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. You know, the question you ought to ask in your life is not what does brother so-and-so think about it? What does pastor think about it? Uh, what does the church say about it? You know what you ought to ask yourself? You ought to ask yourself, what does God say about it? Galatians chapter 4, look if you would at verse number 30. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 30. Uh, Nevertheless, what saith the what? The scripture. Now, you're going to do one of two things in your life as, as, as a human being. Whether you're saved or lost. When there's sin in your life, here's how you're going to respond to it. Well, they say this, but I think. Or you're going to say, what does God say about it? 
And if you're lost without Jesus Christ, let me just say this. You can, you can try to turn over a new leaf. You can give to the poor. You can do a lot of good and wonderful things, but those things cannot save you because things did not die from the cross. A person did. And so the Bible says, as many as received him, to them give you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Go back to John 4. We're going to read a couple of verses and close with a particular thought. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. You know what the problem was? This woman, I believe this. I believe she was trying to find something. She was thirsty spiritually. She was thirsty emotionally. And she was looking for it in human relationships. And why else do you have five husbands? (laughs) Why else do you live that lifestyle, right? Why else do you go into that, that open marriage lifestyle? You know why that is? Because she's trying to fulfill something, a longing in her heart that cannot be fulfilled with the love of just another human being. And oh, by the way, uh, whenever you engage in a relationship that has to be kept secret and has to be kept like that, that's not even love. According to the Bible in First Corinthians chapter 13, lo- charity does not behave itself unseemly. So here's this woman trying to, trying to fulfill her life and she can't even actually enjoy what she's doing the right way because her conscience tells her that it's wrong. And so the Lord is saying, look, I know what your issue is. Your issue is this. You're trying to talk about the mountain, the fathers, and religion, and altars, and, and bringing a sacrifice here, and how you worship. But the real issue is you're longing for something, and you can't fulfill it the way you're trying to do it. Now, look, if you would, at verse number 20. Now, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said that her woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall need to worship. And neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. He's trying to point out, look, it's not about the physical. Look at verse 23. But the hour cometh, and what are the next three words? And now is. In other words, God is looking for people who genuinely want to. By the way, I want to explain this. Worship is not just when we're singing songs at church. Worship is when you walk in the door. Worship is when you're in your car and it's just you and God and your thoughts by yourself. Worship is when you're in your home and you're talking to your spouse and how you interact with that person. That shows God the level to which you are willing to sacrifice for him. Because ultimately, worship is about sacrifice. It's not about just feelings. He says this in verse number uh, 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, it's in a little bit, we're going to do the Lord's Supper. Let me tell you right now, the Lord's Supper does not mean that when I give you that, that unleavened bread, that unleavened bread uh, uh, magically uh, transubstantiates into the physical body. And when I give you that, when you get that cup, the cup, that, that grape juice that's in there does not magically transubstantiate into the physical blood of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because the flesh profiteth nothing, John chapter 6. In other words, when you want to get a hold of God, it is a spiritual interaction that has to take place. That's why I know we talked about this on Wednesday night. All the heathen nations, look at all over the world. Why do you suppose you find pyramid-type structures in the Far East, in the Middle East, in South America? Where did this idea come from? Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. We're going to physically get closer to God. And as much as we like to joke about it here in Colorado, you know, we're, you know, we're that much closer to God because we're higher in elevation. The truth is that that's not spiritually a truth. The spiritual truth is your spirit has to be in tune with God's. If you're lost, your spirit is dead. Ephesians 2. And the Lord wants you to become born again. If you're saved, but you're looking at the physical more than you are the spiritual. 
if you're so enthralled with just the physical, what do people think about me, and how do I look, and what about this, and what I, 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 I got to put out the part, I got to look the part, and I got to kind of dress the part, and I kind of make sure I put off this facade. If that's all you care about, you will not worship God. Because worship requires more than what was required in the Old Testament. They would bring those sacrifices to a physical temple with a physical sacrifice, with a physical priesthood. But you know what the Lord says? Hey, this is no longer. You know what we're at now? We are now in the New Testament. And Jesus Christ, thank God for this. He made one sacrifice with his blood. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He made one sacrifice once and for all forever and sat down the right hand of God. You know what that tells me? That tells me it's no longer about a physical sacrifice. It's about a spiritual sacrifice. And you know who the priesthood is? It's born-again believers. And you are to approach God as a spiritual house, bringing spiritual sacrifice. You see, what does that mean? Well, let me ask you this. What are you willing to give up in your schedule? What are you willing to give up as far as your identity is concerned? What are you willing to give up in regards to your, your family? What are you willing to give up spiritually and emotionally in order to gain something more for the Lord? All right, look, he says, he says this, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know what that is? Hey, can I say this? It's okay to have emotions. You ought to come to church and have some emotion. I mean, for the love of God, maybe get angry or something. Do something. Get, have something because th- your spirit has those things. But beyond that, there, there's truth, and it has to be a combination of both. Let's go ahead and stop there, guys. John chapter 4 will end there. God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him is worship Him in Spirit and in truth. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer, and then we'll go ahead and join in our 11 o'clock hour. Uh, and Brother uh, Eric, we will start at 5 after, 11.05, all right? We'll start at 11.05. Maybe take a moment, shake a hand, say hi to someone you don't know. A restroom there, more restrooms downstairs as well. Get a cup of coffee, enjoy that fellowship. Uh, Brother James, you ask God's blessing on what we just did. Learn.